Hello, welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. And today I have Omar Janain, right? Is that how you say that? Yeah. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Alan. Yeah, you're, you're the creator of models, right? With a triple D. Yeah. So the triple D comes from the domain-driven design, which is the main inspiration for the package. Uh, for those who, of you who are not familiar with domain-driven design, it's an app architecture that allows you to separate concerns. Like you have different layers for different things. But just a disclaimer, the package can be used by any developer and with any, really any app architecture. It's, um, it's coming from domain-driven design, but it can be applied everywhere. Domain-driven design, I think it's mostly done with functional programming. Am I, am I wrong? Uh, there is some functional programming, like for example, you don't throw errors or exceptions. You, you wrap them into failures that you return in an either type, the, the left of the either, and uh, the right uh, uh, is where you store the actual return value of the function, for example. But um, it's, it's not uh, like, delving too deep into functional programming. It's just some notions that you need only. Well, maybe we can kind of define what is functional programming because I've heard people say functional programming is just using functions, which could be a little bit misleading, right? Yeah, so I myself, I'm not a professional into things like functional programming because I only use the necessary things. I would like to learn more about, learn more things about it, but really it's just, uh, it's just a matter of uh, uh, having all your classes immutable so that you don't have uh, mutable classes and things like side effects, for example, uh, some, some value or something changes and it causes unexpected bugs in your app. Uh, so there is that, there is immutability and uh, the fact that you don't throw errors, you return them, you always return them into failures and there's also the declarative part, like uh, it's it's uh, it's not imperative like having try catch blocks and uh, things like that. You you have uh, methods to handle, for example, the the failures and the exceptions uh, in a declarative way. You can't miss an exception. You you'll always have to handle it because it's in the method. Okay, that 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 makes sense. But I'm I'm thinking to myself. Uh, I I do do functional programming basically every day. But I'm going to pretend like I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to ask you some questions. Um, I mean, if you think about it, right? What you said about the immutable data. I mean, life isn't like that, right? People. Um, I mean, you have the example of of a user with an age. We get older every day. We don't. Well, if maybe if you're in in Beverly Hills with lots of money, maybe you can pay to have your age go backwards with plastic surgery, right? But in general, everybody just yeah. gets older. Uh, so we don't really, I mean, we all change, right? So how is it that we can have a system that of course will have data that changes, but we still have immutable data? How does that work, do you know? So it's simple. In, instead of uh, changing your instance, you just create a new one with the updated data. And if you don't need the old instance, you don't hold on to, into it. You you just let it for the garbage collector to collect it. So 
it's uh, it's just creating new instances every time the the value changes, and then you can do whatever you want with that new instance. For example, if you have some UI, you send uh, the you update the state with the new your new instances, or or for example, if you have a, a server fun function that you send the, the you use the new instance, and uh, really it's uh, it's just a matter of creating new instances every time the value change changes. Yeah, well said. I think they call that transformation. I believe where you basically make a copy and then just change the one piece that you want. And then, yeah, we have a really neat method for it. It's copy with. Yeah. And that comes from freeze, right? The copy with. Yeah. It, yeah. It comes from freeze, but I hope that with the static meta programming, it's going to become available with the, the, with all sealed classes and immutable classes in darts. Yeah. Sealed classes. Um, I, I think maybe I, I can't remember what is that exactly. That's, I mean, seal classes. From what I understand is like a class within your class. Is 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 that right? So sealed classes is a class that has that has um, subclasses that are def defined uh, compile time. Like uh, you could have, for example, an uh, a sealed class with a weather sealed class with uh, union case. The subclasses are called union cases. Uh, sunny weather and. Uh, rainy weather so it's defined it's already defined ahead of time so then you can what you can do is uh, if you have a weather instance you can map between these different union cases compile time so for example example you have a, a um, variable called uh, weather you will do weather that map and have uh, a callback for the sunny weather and another one for the rainy weather that's what basically a silt class is now with the dart tree you have uh, a new syntax for silt classes and uh, the pattern match and you do it with the switch the new switch uh, case but uh, as for models it doesn't use that yet maybe it will be supported in the near future but it uses a, a syntax that is uh, uh, compatible with uh, Dart tree and as well as uh, previous versions of Dart, just like uh, Freeze. When you're saying them, it kind of reminds me of like um, a union type, no? To a certain extent, I mean, weather is going to be. I mean, weather is very vague, but then you say you, you, the weather could be sunny, cloudy, rainy, etc. It's it's very similar, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, I mean, it, that sounds like the seal class fits right in with what your with what this models library does no yeah exactly so it's a code generator that allows you to create self-validated objects these objects are validated upon instantiation like when you instantiate them the validation is done and they are also sealed classes that have uh, different union cases depending on the validation state so let's say say for example you have a uh, uh, username uh, uh, model so uh, it will be a sealed class with union cases uh, valid the username and invalid username and then you have the benefits of handling these different validation states in a compile safe way compile time safe with compile time safety and type safety 
like you're you can't not handle for example uh an invalid username because it's empty or because it's too long or it has some uh, characters that are not allowed things like that so okay that that makes sense i mean going through your examples and you walk me through a bit before the show um i mean you're you're basically creating a new so i think the age one's a pretty good one right you you talk about uh okay there's an age the validity is all about you know being old enough a number etc but that's wrapped into an actual object called age right yeah so i think i should bring up some concepts from domain driven design like uh, uh first of all validation it's uh, it's about validating any type of data like uh, it could be coming from anywhere from the user inputs like a form or it could be coming from a, a database or the server or some device sensors like you can validate any type of data and uh, single pieces of values like uh, username age email these are encapsulated into classes that we call value objects so uh, these classes uh, not only hold the value for example an age class will hold uh, a property into uh, an integer property for the value uh, but they also hold the validation logic. So, for example, the same example of the age, you could have a validation logic that if the age is uh, less than 18 years old, then you, then it's invalid and you have a minor failure, like uh, the user is a minor. Um, and also another important concept that comes from... Um, Domain-driven design is that uh, validation failures are, expli are explicitly declared as sealed classes. So, for example, for for a username value object, you can have a username failure sealed class. So, a sealed class called username failure with union cases such as the username failure that's empty if uh, the username is empty, username that uh, that too long, and uh, things like that um then the so this is the, was about the first concept which is the concept of value objects uh, these classes that hold a single values the se second important concept is the one of uh, entities so entities are cl classes that group that uh, group these values into a self-contained and it's uh, a contained uh, unit a self-contained unit so, for example, you could have a user entity that contains value objects such as username, age, and email. So, for an entity to be valid, all the value objects and other entities it contains must, must be valid too. And uh, you can also have some uh, extra validation about the relationship between these values. I don't know if that makes sense, but... Uh, let me find an example. Uh, for example, uh, if you have, you could say, for example, that if a user has such age and such username, then it's invalid. So it's also able to validate the relationship between the data. So these are the two main concepts uh, that you need to know. It's uh, value objects and entities. And uh, with models, I wanted to 
like push these two concepts further and uh, make them available for all developers and not just those who are practicing domain-driven design. So I wanted to add things like uh, self-validation, like uh, when you instantiate the object, it's validated upon creation. So you never deal with uh, non-validated data. If you have, for example, a user instance somewhere in your app, you know, it has been validated. You don't need to handle uh, to say, oh, but what if it was, uh, what if I don't have a username? What if the user doesn't have that? No, it's all already have been validated. And I also wanted to bring compile time safety, like uh, for the, your user, you will be able to handle the different validation states in a compile safe way and also handle the failures uh, in the same uh, type safe and compile safe way. So everything is declarative. You get a user user instance, you can do user.map and have a callback for the valid uh, union case, another one for the invalid union case and handle each case separately without any overhead and without, uh, without uh, saying like, uh, uh, what if I didn't handle all cases and uh, trying to find uh, some edge case that you didn't think about and things like that? No, everything is defined ahead of time and uh, and uh, you can uh, handle each case with uh, that peace of mind that functional programming brings in general. Yeah, I really love that style. Like that reminds me of uh, Elm. Have you played with Elm before? Uh, what's that? Oh, Elm is a programming language. Basically, it it's similar to Haskell. Have you seen Haskell before? I I heard about it, but I didn't get the chance to use one. But I I really want to experiment with those sometime because it's really a different way to to write code and program. Yeah, the I mean I think Elm does it really nicely. Like because the thing is, when you're working with JavaScript, things just kind of break, and you know, there, there's no way to really know other than open up the console and see the, the error there for the most part. Uh, but the way that Elm works is it does compile on the JavaScript, but you write in this very, what you know, annoying style, basically similar to what you have where it's like compile time. No, you have to handle all of the cases, kind of like Rust. You have to handle all the cases. Except with Rust, yeah, you, can, it, you can actually get out of it by just unwrapping. But with Elm, you actually have to handle it which is nice because your code basically will always keep working even if there's like a quote-unquote bug it won't ever like crap out yeah yeah so like that that's why i really like it a lot but yeah it's it is a little bit annoying like the handle yeah and it also makes it easier to code because you don't need to go back to your data structure and say wait so this can be this this shouldn't be that no you don't need to do that it's already defined in one neat place which is uh, your model class yeah i mean i mean so um, actually, sorry. Well, I kind of want to go back just a little bit. Um, I'm thinking about like these these types that have the validation on them, right? We talked about the age, like you have to have a certain age in order to be valid. Um, but let's if, let's go back to string, like like a username. That's more clear. So, for instance, you could say, all right, a username has to be a string of all alphanumeric characters, and it has to. Uh, have at least three characters and cannot be more than 20, right? Let's just say those are the validations. Yeah, exactly. You can add any number of validations and organize them in multiple steps. 
and all that in your model class. Now, now the question I have is, is it possible to have just only two types? Because you mentioned that, okay, this one, like if it's too long, then return like too long sealed class. Like, is it possible to say, okay, invalid, and then like a list of all the things that are invalid? Because if I put in like, just like an exclamation mark, in the case I just gave you, it's less than three characters. It's not alphanumeric, it's an exclamation mark, it's a symbol. And it's obviously, you know, like, like in that case, two out of three, the validations would actually fail. So is there a way that I could have returned just one class with all of the errors on it? Or do I have to have a different um, class per error to, to, to return back? No, so um, how validations are, are structured in models is that you have different steps validation steps that one step is um, uh, running after the other. So for example, you could have the first step uh, in your, in your uh, validation, in your validation logic is to verify things like uh, uh, having a blank username or uh, uh, invalid characters or things like that. And then have another step for things like uh, the username is not available or so verifying the user availability of the username and then each step corresponds to a union case so you're really free to uh, to add as many steps as you want and organize your validations as you want so that you get exactly what you want do you want these validations and uh, their corresponding failures to be to be represented by one class or multiple classes, uh, that's uh, that's your choice. Yeah, because I'm just thinking, like, I would like to return something that has all the errors rather than have, you know, like, one by one. That could be a little bit annoying. You know, like, because we all have had, like, the time where, you know, you're, you you try to maybe create an account. You know, you enter in your, your password. Okay, not long enough. Okay, you enter in a longer password. Okay, too long, maybe. Oh, okay. And then, oh, it doesn't have enough characters. Okay. Oh, it doesn't have enough numbers. Doesn't have enough symbols. It gets annoying to keep trying and trying and trying, right? Oh, I see. So you kind of want to to check as many cases as possible, and then return back to them and say, okay, these are what's wrong. You know, you, not enough characters. You have to be alphanumeric, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to look for. Is that you want to, at least for the for the front end, you want to cause at least some friction, right? Even in the even in the, in the back end too, you kind of want to see all the things that are wrong with it, so that you can uh, properly. I don't know. You already understand what I mean, right? You you, you want to kind of have the least amount of friction with the user. Yeah, I get you. Like uh, instead of separating the errors and have uh, and handling each one at a time, you handle them all at once, so you don't you don't keep uh, making uh, keep having failures and uh, then the next failure. So. Um, I think uh, you can do this with models by just uh, uh, organizing your failures in a way that you could have, for example, a failure that wraps other failures. So, uh, so you could uh, group the the failures that you want to have together in into one failure and then return that, for example, but. I'll have to code that to 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 give you an example of the of the of a use case. Like it's hard to think about it. 
on the on the fly. Yeah, I mean, because that's basically what I'm looking for. Because there's so many. I mean, every single time that I do this, I would love to have all the errors to kind of show the user what's going on. Yeah, I see. It's like, can you imagine like doing all this stuff, and at the end, you have a valid password, and then it says, "Oh, sorry, username taken." It's like, oh, yeah, I, I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> that's what I would say. Yeah, I see. But there is already some flexibility with uh, the validations, and uh, you could group them into steps, different steps, and uh, each and uh, each validation returns uh, a failure. So you could uh, do things like, uh, as I said, grouping some failures into uh, one, into some kinds of failures into one failure case. So you could you you'll have things like sealed classes of sealed classes. <laughs> like some hierarchy for your failures. Okay. But the problem with that is that you'll, uh, like uh, in this case, it doesn't matter because uh, the string is uh, like uh, the operations on the strings and uh, rejects matching and all of that are not very expensive, but uh, computing wise, but sometimes you want to separate your validations and run one after the other so that you don't have uh, any, any lag or, uh, uh, performance issue. Okay. Um, but but let's kind of roll back a little bit too. Um, I, what I did notice is that, okay, so so out of the box, uh, it sounds like you have to use freeze, right? You don't have your own uh, kind of implementation of a freeze-like thing. You you have to use freeze, is what I understand. Uh, you don't need to use freeze specifically. You can use anything for. Uh, to any kind of package to create uh, sealed classes. Uh, it's just required for the failures because your failure should be immutable and uh, should be sealed classes. So you could be using, for example, the new Dart tree sealed classes or other packages like Dart Mappable. I think it has support for, for sealed classes. And uh, yeah, you're free to use whatever you want. Any data class and uh, union generator would work. Okay. But you also have to have build runner. I mean, of course, besides that one, but for yours too, because that's also going to be generating some some code, right? Yeah, you need build runner because it's a code generator. I don't know how it will be with the, when uh, static metaprogramming is, program, is uh, introduced. Uh, and uh, I hope I will be able to migrate uh, the package uh, then to using static metaprogramming so that you don't have the problem of having to generate your code. But for me personally, uh, the advantages that this package offers are so great that I, I don't have a problem with code generators, uh, with using a code generator because, uh, because uh, you can't do this uh, manually. Like <laughs> you can't have these sealed classes you can't manually write them, or at least it will be very difficult with a lot of code. Uh, so yeah, it's functionality that is not available with the, with the, without a code generator. Well, I mean, the problem I have with Build Runner is it does take some time to to run, right? Yeah. And it, I think you can you can turn it on, take some time to run, and then it will like rebuild when it sees changes, right? Yeah, you can use the watch command for that, and uh, it will automatically rebuild every time you make changes. Yeah, that that's the nice part, but yeah, it's still that initial run. And also, the other issue I have with the build runner is, it's uh, the command is not so clear compared to other ones like Flutter build, Flutter run. 
is very simple, but it's like Flutter Pub Run Build Runner yeah. or something. I, it's been a while. Basically, I, I have to Google search for it, and then I remember it, then I copy it, paste it in the README, and then I just forget. And if I forget again, I just go back to the README and copy-paste and go again. Yeah, that's relatable. But I have a VS Code uh, plugin for comments that I use frequently, and then I name them. I type them in the comment bar and then I just run them directly. So you could do that with your uh, uh, ID. I mean, uh, wh when did you, so I kind of want to roll back just a tiny bit, right? Um, for for domain-driven design, when did you first hear about this and what kind of attracted you to, to, to actually use it? Uh, I think I first heard about it like uh, two years ago. I was uh, building an app and then... Uh, Quickly enough, I noticed that it was not maintain maintainable and uh, it was really hard to introduce new features without breaking previous ones and uh, testing the UI, testing the business logic, things like that. So uh, it was what you basically called, uh, call spaghetti code. <laughs> so I started looking into app architectures. I explored some ones, but I quickly find, found uh, Domain-driven design. There was a very famous uh, tutorial of uh, Riso Coder. It was a DDD and Fire, Firebase and DDD series, something like that. Uh, it had it had some 100k views. So I followed that, and uh, I really liked the concepts it uh, introduced because it made made my code much more clear and uh, very easy to reason about to maintain and to test yeah i really love research coders courses i didn't see the firebase one because i didn't really use firebase for a while but i did like um his separation of kind of concerns and i remember in the course that i seen at least when he was working with block is like he had he did use the union class i don't think he used freeze but he definitely used the union class to the union package to generate like okay success or, and then like error this one it's super nice and i think that riverpod also builds upon that right where they kind of have this three the three section success error loading so it's kind of yeah, like exactly it's super powerful that you have this compile time thing and you have to handle all cases when you use like the that when function i think yeah exactly that's mop and uh, that's when when function okay so th this is kind of a, another good question i think i have is is models right uh this is strictly a dart thing like if i just wanted just to write a simple dart program i could use your package is that right it doesn't require flutter right no it doesn't uh, have any dependency on flutter you could use it with a pure dart project um, because uh, it's just uh, really just uh, objects at the end of the day self-validated objects and it uses um, a mix of uh, some uh, mixins and interfaces to make this uh, this kind of multi inheritance work, like with uh, using just uh, pure Dart code. Okay, that's that's awesome. Um, now, if I were to use this in Flutter, is there any limitations I need to kind of keep in mind? Like it doesn't work well with certain state managements or or something like that. Uh, you don't need to. To do anything special, really, it can work with any kind of state management solution you have. Um, uh, if you already use domain-driven design, it will be 
uh, you'll just basically replace your value objects and entities with ones provided by models and you'll be good to go. If you are not using DDD and you like the package, you can also just use them di directly and uh, make them fit in your workflow and uh, architecture, app architecture. Okay. Now, I mean, when when you put this into your, I mean, you're using this within your Flutter apps yourself, right? Yeah. Are you, I, I mean, do you use like Riverpod or something like that with it? Like, do you have some recommendations that you think works really well? Yeah, for me personally, I use uh, so pure domain-driven design. I have uh, three main layers, the infrastructure layer, which is uh, connected to the outside, outside world, like uh, databases and uh, uh, the server. I have the domain layer, which is the, the center of the app. It doesn't have any dependency on the other layers. It contains all the business logic and uh, the validation logic. So that's where I put my models. And then I have the presentation layer, which combines the views and widgets and the states, their states. So um, for the presentation layer, I have, uh, I use Riverpod because I like the simplicity of it and it doesn't have boilerplate code. Uh, but you can be using you could be using block. It's uh it's like the same principle. You have your states and uh, your your views. I think with block you also have the events in Riverpod. It's integrated. It's uh, handled automatically. Uh yeah. So what I do is that uh I I have my models that um, I instantiate and I pass around in the app. For example, I could be fetching some data from the server, like uh, some user profile data. I will uh, I will need to validate it because, um, yeah, about this. Uh, some people think that you shouldn't validate server data because uh, like it's coming from the server, so it must be valid. But what they forget is that you can have multiple app versions. And so sometimes your app uh, would will not be expecting some kind of data and you'll have to handle that so that's why it's important to validate also server data so coming back to my example i could have uh, some data coming from the server and it might uh, uh, it might be inc incompatible for example let's say uh, users in my app didn't uh, need to have a username but now in the new version they do need to have a username so so I need to uh, to make sure uh, they they do. Uh, with models, I would have I will have a user entity, which will hold uh, value objects such as uh, username, email, and so on, all the data pieces that uh, I need. And uh, after fetching the, fetching the user profile data from the server, uh, I will create the an instance of the model and then pass it to the U UI. Um, Using Riverpod, uh, I will probably probably store it in a provider, but uh, and then access that provider from the UI. But uh, the same principle applies for the other state management methods. So, in the uh, in the UI, I would then be able to map between the different validation states of the user profile, uh, the user entity. So, uh, for example, I could have uh, a widget that uh, displays the user profile. So 
So it will be expecting a valid user union case, the valid union case of the user entity. And uh, I could have another widget uh, that, uh, that uh, displays uh, some kind of error message if the user profile, is, uh, user profile data is uh, incomplete. And so that widget will expect the invalid union case. Or maybe I could be automatically redirecting, redirecting to, the, uh, uh, to the screen for editing the profile data if some data needs to be changed or updated. So yeah, I could uh, really, I could uh, do anything with my model once I get it. So I pass it to the uh, presentation layer. So you can see how the data flows nicely from the server to the UI without any kind of uh, overhead. And uh, I'm able to handle all cases uh, in a declarative way. Okay. Yeah. I, I was listening to what you're saying and mm, some thoughts kind of came to my mind about uh, validity, right? So if we could kind of go back to like valid user having a valid username, valid password, this kind of stuff, right? Now, um, let's say that something like, I don't know, um, uh, what would you call that? Um, a, a, bio, a bio or something like that, you know, like if you can write a paragraph about yourself to kind of introduce yourself to other people. Um, I don't know, is it possible that you could say have like an, an invalid bio? Like, can you have some fields within a, a user that are invalid, but that doesn't actually invalidate the user itself? If that makes sense. I'm just trying to think like, let's say that if you have a bio there, yeah, obviously you want that to be valid. But I guess that would that would mean that you're, you can have an invalid bio with invalid data. It's either no data, which is valid, or data that's valid, right? I'm trying to think if there could be a situation where you could have, you'd want to have a valid object, but one of the pieces of it could be invalid. It's probably not possible. And also maybe a little bit weird question. Well, sorry, let me kind of roll back a little bit because I'm thinking about your your particular uh, case. It was you were talking, I was thinking in my mind like about data, right? So if you have a system, uh, let's say you have, uh, I don't know, an older version of the app or even a newer version of the app and the API doesn't quite match, you may have some data pieces missing. And so based on that, you'd want to handle that Right. So it's like, okay, this is a user, but in the new version of the API, which we're looking for, we're expecting there to be, I don't know, a birthday, but we didn't collect birthdays before. You know what I'm saying? Like, is there possible that you could have something like this? Yeah, of course. Like, uh, you add validations for everything, for, um, like, uh, for example, you said that you, you, you need to check that it, the birthday is uh, is available, right? Because uh, the new uh, the new versions of uh, the app requires to have birthday. So in your your new version, you just create your birthday value object, and uh, uh, you handle the invalid uh, case appropriately. So I don't know. Maybe you you'll redirect uh, the 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 user to a page where he can could add his birthday or things like that. Okay, yeah, I guess it's more simple than I than I thought. I was just trying to think of a situation where maybe you would have invalid data, but you'd kind of want that, and then like you would just not show that. 
you know, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I'm thinking too much. Maybe it's actually a lot simpler <laughs> than, than, I, than my mind is thinking. You're free to do whatever you want to do with uh, your models at the end of the day. Like, even if you have, for example, an invalid user, you could still access its fields and then handle each field uh, accordingly. You could uh, have one, uh, you could, for example, ignore like uh, the invalid value. If it's invalid, you just ignore it or you don't show it at all. But it doesn't mean that uh, you, you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't show the username to our other user profile uh things that that you need to show okay that that makes sense yeah so not only could something be invalid but maybe it's still usable you have to kind of check to see what's invalid about it right yeah right and you have to you have uh, full access of that with models like uh one thing that uh it's i really like about this kind of structure which is not just uh coming from models but also from ddd is like uh you have this whole data structure made of entities and value objects that you can like uh, uh, you can explore and uh, and uh, yeah delve into as much as you want. You can uh, you can move from the upper entity to another to some value object it contains or some other entities it uh, it contains and. Uh, and handle like and access uh, all the pieces uh, of your data in a declarative way. Okay. Now, I mean, uh, looking at this, it, I, it it's it's quite nice. But I'm thinking to myself like, okay, if you know, I wanted to convert this thing to JSON, right? And let's go back to the simple one of you know, user, username, age. Obviously, username would be a string. Age is a integer. I mean, but but we don't have those, right? So how how does that work? Is it that you have to go through and kind of define uh, how to encode and decode those things? Do you, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So yeah, I understand what you're saying. So uh, models is not a is not a data class generator like uh, freeze or things like that. So or just JSON serializable and other packages like that. Uh, so it doesn't handle just an JSON serialization and uh, deserialization, but it's kind of intended because uh, in domain-driven design, your, uh, your models don't change with time. They are constant. You put them in the domain layer and uh, you don't change them like uh, because uh, some server data changed or things like that. Like they don't care about the structure of your data in the server or in your local data database. They are the center of your app and uh, the UI layer and uh, the other layers depend on, on, on them. But for things like JSON deserialization and uh, serialization, they, they often change like, uh, uh, you you so what you, you what you do with the in domain driven design is you call you create objects called uh, DTOs, uh, data transform objects I think transfer objects. So these are the classes that are responsible for converting your raw data that comes from the server to your models to instances of your models. 
and for these DTOs, you can use uh, you can either do it manually or use packages like uh, uh, JSON serializable, uh, and then you'd have to manually create methods that convert the DTO to a model. So you'd name them, for example, two model, and it converts the the DTO to your model, and another one that converts your model to a DTO. So you'll name it from model. And uh, yeah, so these are, you'll put this, these in the infrastructure layer and they would uh, change, frequently change with the, with the, the changes that you have in your, in your uh, the databases and uh, servers. Okay. Yeah. DTO. I, I remember this now, you know, I, I was reading a book about domain driven design using F sharp from pragmatic programmers quite a few years ago. And I remember this this term, but I also remember as um, working in, in the programming language I usually work in every day, um, there often is this idea where you have boundaries, right? And that your the outside world is unclean. And so you have these kind of like, um, I don't know what the heck you call that, but they're like outside, uh, data structs, data data um, objects, I guess you can call them. And those accept the data you're looking for. And then also, then you have DTOs or something like that. You have some way to change that to your internal structure. Yeah, you reminded me of that, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's actually very common, right? So it's like, even though, because the thing is like, your your internal structure could be quite different, right? You could be saving your data in your database in one format, working with the same data in another format, and also requesting data in another format from users, right? But uh, then your model stays the same. Your, so the DTOs are the one that converts uh, that uh, data to your model that, that stays un unchanged. So the advantage with that is that you don't, if for example, the, there is some change in your, in your uh, server data structure, like some fields have a different name or things like that, you don't need to update uh, code in the UI layer because it does it's it doesn't depend on the infrastructure infrastructure layer. Uh, it uh, depends on your models in on the domain on the domain layer that uh, stay unchanged. So you'll only need to change uh, uh, those classes you talked about. I forgot their names. Yeah those classes that are on the outside, that deal with the outside data. And also update your DTO so that they correctly convert those classes to your models. Well, the other thing too, right? Like even those three different types I'm talking about, um, you could have a user represented differently depending upon which part of the system you're in, right? You're, you're looking a little bit confused, but have you heard this before? Uh, I didn't get you. Like. Uh... Okay, so so let's let's kind of step back for a moment, right? When you so let's say in your database you have a user, the user has uh, an ID. I think most countries have like an uh, you know like an ID number, right, for your ID card, like say passport number, something like that, right? Um, you have uh, obviously name, first name, last name, middle name could be. Uh, you have an age or a date of birth, um, but let's say that you have. Mm, you have like one part of your system which is sending notifications that only needs the user's first and last name, or maybe even just right. first name, 
So when you pull from the database, you're just pulling, okay, let's pull their first name, let's pull their email address. And then we have the message, right? I don't, I, I, I don't know anything about ID card number or passport number. I don't know anything about their birthday. And I don't even, like, it, it never gets brought up, right? So when you pass that data struct, like, so originally the database has those things, but that part of the system, the notification part of the system, only knows, okay, a user is, yeah. you know, name and email. You know what I mean? Like you have a separate object that represents the same thing. So it's a subset. And, and maybe it could have a different format or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, is there, a, there must be a name for that. Like I, I remember seeing this in the triple D book and it's, it's quite interesting and it makes a lot of sense, right? Like you should never pass kind of more data than you need to. According to this system, this module or context, whatever, knows what a user is. It's this type. And then this part knows a user as that type. And obviously they don't need to know everything about the user. So you should be passing in kind of a subset of the data that's only required of what you need. Yeah, right. Uh, I also forgot their names, but it's, the, it's exactly this. You create some, uh, some simple data classes that, uh, uh, the, that contain only the field, the, the field that you need to, to send, for example, to the server or to the notification service. And uh, uh, the DTOs, the other classes we talked about, are the ones responsible to, for converting your, your clean data, your models, your models uh, to, to these uh, classes. Yeah. So you have uh, the freedom to add as many, as many classes that you want. Yeah, we don't have their names. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, I mean, in your documentation, do you list all these official names or or no? My documentation doesn't really delve into DDD practices. Like, uh, it's just uh, uh, it's uh, just talks about value objects and entities and uh, uh, how to use the package because um, it can be used with uh, any kind of app architecture. But so these classes we're talking about are more specific to domain-driven design. Okay. Yeah, I'm almost thinking like maybe maybe it would be good to actually add that in because this stuff is quite interesting and I like the idea. It's just very radically different than most people, right? Most people are like, okay, here's my user. My user is everything, you know, like stuff that things shouldn't know about, but okay, it's my user, pass it in. You know, like, and that, can be tricky, right? But that's like how you start getting have. That's how you start having like leaks of data that should shouldn't be coming out. You know, private information being put in the wrong place. With models, you will have one user model, generally speaking, because uh, yeah, it will be one that holds all the values you need in your app. But then in the other layer, the infrastructure layer that deals with the outside world and the server server data and things like that. That's where we would put additional data classes for each uh, kind of uh, service and what it needs. Uh, that's why it's, I think it's a little bit different. That, like I can't really address it in the documentation, but I would love if uh, someone makes a tutorial series about it, about domain-driven design, an updated one. Maybe I'll do it in the, if I have some time in the future. I'm not sure, but. Uh, yeah, it would be great because uh, Resocoder's tutorial is quite uh, outdated and uh, we need someone to 
to uh, update the code and uh, make a new version. I thought that would be you, right? I mean, you're really into domain-driven design. That's a good opportunity for you to also get the package out there and for people to be using it, if you can show them how to use this in a triple D way, right? Yeah, I'll try to do that. I don't have much experience with making tutorials, but I hope I will get over that and make one. There's a first time for everything. Have you heard that expression? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, but it's, it. well, that's the nice part about the Flutter community is that, um, you know, they're open for, for new things and open for people to try and they give feedback. And it's not like some other communities where the feedback is really negative. They They definitely give you some support on, you know, how to make it better, et cetera. Yeah, that's so true. The hardest part is starting. I can tell you this one right now. Everything. Same as this podcast. The hardest part is just to start it. Yeah. After that, the second hardest part is to keep doing it. <laughs> that's the other second hardest part. <laughs> so, but, yeah. I mean, the same with the package, right? It, for me, I've ne- I don't know if I'd ever be able to create a package because it. I don't even. First of all, I don't have a, any really good ideas of something I want to create. Second of all, like, yeah, there's a lot of effort involved in that. Yeah. Some things I don't even know. And the other thing that worries me too is my people looking at my code also makes me a little bit nervous. Yeah, that's true. Your coding is so so private, right? Yeah. You feel kinda insecure. This is why I had to go through like I made two prototypes before making this version because I couldn't just put out something that uh that I didn't really clean up and document very well. Like I I went over the, all the code, cleaned it up. I documented every function. I made sure that my variables names and method names made sense because I don't want people diving into the the code base and finding that uh, things are unstructured or don't make sense or are difficult to understand. I wanted to, for everybody to be able to just dive in and contribute if they want or just learn about um, how to make a package like uh, like uh, models that. Uh, a code generation package, uh, yeah. So, so that that's why I had to make a, a prototype before putting out this uh, final version. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm kind of curious. Like you spent all that time getting it ready. When you released the package, did you find that you missed some things, or people pointed them out to you, or nothing? Nothing like that happened. Um. Uh, like uh, I knew that uh, I would miss some, a few things, a few features, but uh, for now there is no real issue. Like uh, no bugs have been discovered. Uh, it's really hard with the with the code generation packages to make sure that the generated code is always valid and has uh, some has a valid syntax. But uh, I made sure that everything is uh, is kind of wrapped into templates. And uh, like uh, everything is well structured and the code base is very clean. And I added a lot of uh, integration tests and uh, source gen tests to make sure that uh, I don't uh, miss something. And uh, I had, in fact, uh, I had to create a, 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 a set of utilities to be able to write the integration tests because there are different model kinds so I had to run those tests on all model kinds, and I couldn't write them manually uh, each time. So that was uh, that was hard too, but I managed to got uh, to get my integration tests running on all model kinds now. 
and uh, I still have some tests to write, but but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the package is uh, pretty well rounded now in terms of uh, features and also in terms of uh, uh, bugs and things like that. It's pretty safe to to use. You say that the package is pretty well rounded. Like, th- does that mean that there's no more features that you plan to add or things that are coming up in the timeline? Uh, there are already some open issues on GitHub about some enhancements I want to bring. And uh, there is, uh, there is uh, the new Dart tree features that I really want to bring, like uh, the, the take advantage of the built-in uh, sealed classes. So I would, I would uh, reduce some and remove, completely remove some uh, dependencies like uh, equatable. And um, also, hopefully, reduce the generated code size. There is also the record types that I want to support. I don't really know how the community would like to use records in the context of models. So, I hopefully I will get some community adoption and feedback to to guide me to, uh, for that. And. Uh, yeah, like uh, I'm open to any feedback and uh, and uh, and uh, any suggestions from the community, and uh, I'll be glad and uh, happy to 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 discuss uh, changes and uh, things that uh, uh, all of you want to implement. That's great. I mean, uh, we're kind of running a little bit low on time. Uh, I I just kind of wanted to ask, is there something else that you think that we didn't cover about models that you wanted to, to discuss before we start to wrap up? Um, I think that uh, uh, anyone should uh, give models a try uh, because uh, I couldn't really very well explain what it is about, like, because it's mainly code, like, uh, Things are when I say pattern matching and things like that. It can be it can seem a little bit abstract, abstract but really it's just uh, it just code. Uh, so if you try it, you'll really get uh, what it's about, and uh, hopefully you'll like to use it in your applications and uh, in your projects. But other than that, I think we've covered uh, pretty much uh, all the topics I wanted to talk about. Yeah, there there is one more thing I have to say, uh, and I admitted to you already, right? I, I didn't read through everything. I kind of skimmed it and was trying to understand how it works. But for sure, I have to say that um, I don't know if I could say it's the most documented, but definitely very well documented, very well put together package in terms of documentation and written kind of, um, what do you call that? You know the the website you created. There's a lot of of explanation there, and I think that's that's great um, for me. Like if if I'm sitting there going to want to use this package, I would love to kind of read through all of it top to bottom. Like it, it reminds me a lot of Riverpod. Riverpod they have their own website, and they have a very similar style where they very good much go into depth and they cover nearly everything, like how to test, how to use it, etc. And I think you have the same style. I'm not sure if you st- if you use Riverpod as a as a inspiration but i really like that in a package if when you have a whole website dedicated to it and it makes it uh, something that i love to dig into when uh, when i need to use a package 
Right, I'm glad you liked the documentation. I spent a lot of time on it, like uh, probably document creating that documentation plus documenting the code, code base and uh, structuring it took me around 40% of the development or development time. But I think it was worth it, not only for me, but uh, also for uh, everyone, everybody who wants to join and uh, contribute on the project. Yeah. Well, definitely. Uh, I love the package. Uh, I like the idea. I I need to get back. I, I want to now. I want to get back into triple uh, to triple D, the main driven design, and then take a look at your package again, so I can see if I it's something I maybe I want to start bringing to my projects. So, but yeah, I, I like it. Um, maybe be maybe can add more triple D stuff to it with these transformers and everything else someday. Uh, but but in any case. Uh, uh, thank you for coming out to the show, and and I'm happy to kind of introduce the world to to models. And I like, uh, you know, seeing this kind of work. And I'm hoping that maybe other people will enjoy what you have and uh, will use it. And uh, it keeps going on. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure.